portions of Scripture. I just, I could read it again and again. I preached it several times, and there's just so much there, and you're never exhausted. But I, a couple things just jumped right out at me. Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace. That's why we're here. We're here for the praise of the glory of his grace. And, and by that, and then also in, in um, verse 7, according to the riches of his grace. Oh, my. We'd just sit there all night, couldn't we? <laughs> it's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. Open up the scriptures, if you would, to Psalm 16. This will be the second part of this message. Uh, it could have been a three-part message, um, but we looked at a little bit of, of um, verses 8 to 11. So tonight I won't spend a whole lot of time on those, but um, this morning's message we looked at verses 1 to 3. Let's read the psalm again. Tonight we're again continue our study and we're, we're finished the, the psalm. If it's if Lord willing, we will. Mitchum of David, preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, thou art my Lord, my goodness extendeth not to thee, but to the saints that are in the earth and to the excellent in whom is all my delight. Their sorrow shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names into my lips. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance, and of my cup, thou maintainest my lot. The lions are fallen unto me in pleasant places, yea, I have a goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord, who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope, for thou wilt not leave my soul in corruption, or soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life, in thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now this morning we looked at verses 1 to 3, where we saw that God is the one who preserves his people in verse 1. And we know again that this psalm is penned by David, but it's prophetic of the Lord Jesus Christ. It speaks of our Lord. It speaks of Christ. And so with that in mind, let's again read verse 1. Uh, Mitchum of David, preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. We see that God is the only one who preserves his people. And we know we are preserved in Christ and in Christ alone. Uh, we cannot keep ourselves. It's impossible. It's impossible for us to keep ourselves. God must keep the believer. God must keep the believer. Because we're like sheep. And what do sheep do when they're left to themselves? Just wander away. And that's what, remember that hymn, Prone to Wander, Lord, I Feel It? The hymn writer is just being honest. He's just being honest. So he has to keep us. He has to preserve us. Uh, he, he is all our salvation. God is all our salvation. Christ is all our salvation, all our redemption. And he alone is our all in all. And the scriptures plainly uh, declare this, saying that Christ is our wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. And then we looked at verse 2, and uh, we saw how we add nothing to God. It says, O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, thou art my goodness, my, or thou art my Lord, my goodness extendeth not to thee. God's born-again, blood-washed people are here called, they're, they're called 
saints. We're not here, but they're called saints. And, and no, we don't make him Lord. Uh, he's been Lord from all eternity. He's been Lord from all eternity. Uh, thou said unto the Lord, Thou art my Lord. We don't make him Lord. He is our Lord. He is our Lord. And uh, we call him Lord because he's redeemed us. We call him Lord because we're born again of the Holy Spirit of God. There's people out there that say, well, you make Jesus your Savior and then he's your Lord. No, he's, your, he's, he's my Lord and Savior. Is he yours too, right? He's both. He's both. If he's my Savior, he's my Lord. But he's Lord, he's Lord even if I don't make him Lord and I, do, I can't make him Lord. See, that's the thing. God beat us to it. He's been Lord. He, he always has been the Lord and he always will be the Lord. So we just acknowledge his lordship. We just acknowledge his lordship. Our goodness, which we established today, anything we sinners do, that good comes from God, does not change God. It can only be said of the God-man um, that he is good. That he is good. So here it says, my goodness extendeth not to thee. It's speaking of Christ, not of us. And um, he is the only one who's good. He's the only one who was sinless. He's the only one who's perfect. He's the only one who's spotless. Because he is the Lamb of God. Then we considered verse 3, which was very uplifting, as we see that God delights in his saints. He delights in his people, his born-again, blood-washed people, who are in Christ. Those who are resting in Christ, in him alone for salvation. Those who believe upon him, who have been born again by the Holy Spirit of God. Look at verse 3. But to the saints that are in the earth and to the excellent in whom is all my delight. Now the saints by definition are the holy ones. And they're called to be saints. We know that in scripture. They're the beloved of God. They're sanctified in Christ Jesus. So the only way we can be called saints is in Christ. That's the only way. Marvel in this, you who are the elect of God. You who are a saint of God. That the Lord Jesus Christ delights in his people. And we looked at that from this verse too. God delights in his people. God delights in Christ, and we are in Christ. And Christ delights in us. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. So now let us continue our study here. We'll look at verse 4. Considering this psalm is speaking of Christ, their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names unto my lips. Now the heathen generally hasten after their God. Should we not, as who are the saints of God, then, then exceed them in pursuing Jehovah? Should we not seek to just worship our king and magnify his name? It is said in the proverb of old that a lie goes around the world before truth puts on, before truth puts on her boots. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we'll look at verses 14 and 16. All who hasten after a false god will incur multiplied sorrows, beloved, from the true and living God. And we know that eventually, left in that situation, it will lead to their eternal condemnation. It will lead to their eternal condemnation. Anyone outside of Christ, when they breathe their last breath, goes to eternal condemnation. Look at this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 14 and 16. To 16. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. Note that. The churches of God are in Christ Jesus. That's positionally. He's the head, we're the body. 
For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. So persecution of true believers happens no matter what nationality you are. We are hated because of Christ. Because of Christ. Who both killed the Lord Jesus, speaking of the Jews, and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they please not God, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles, that they might be saved to fill up their sins always, for the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. So we see that the wrath of God comes upon those who follow after false gods. And here in this case, the Jews were forbidding the, the Paul and the other apostles from preaching Christ. But what did they do? They just kept on preaching Christ, didn't they? Brother Roy and I do a little devotional all the time, and today's devotional was about Paul. Paul praying for boldness. Praying for boldness. And, and the, the writer of the devotional said, isn't this incredible? Here's Paul. The, the, everyone looks at Paul as the chief apostle. And he's asking for boldness. He's asking for the saints to pray for boldness and for grace. And, and as Brother Roy was reading, I thought, this is what every grace preacher prays for. Please pray for us that we, that we would have boldness to speak the gospel and that we'd have grace, season it with grace, and that it would come with power because that's what we desire, that the word would be effectual and touch the hearts of believers and, and Lord willing, draw in some of God's lost sheep if it so pleases the Holy Spirit to use it. And, and, and here he is, though, the Apostle Paul, again, preach, pray, praying for boldness. And, and he's speaking here, though, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved to fill up their sins always, for the wrath, of, for the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. So here we get a little glimpse of what was happening to Paul. He was being forbid to even preach the gospel, but he just kept preaching. He just kept preaching. Just kept preaching. So let us be quick to remind the wicked that they who fill up the measure of their sins will find that wrath has come upon them to the uttermost when they perish in their sins. So let us warn them of that. Let us warn them of that. Let's go back to Psalm 16 again, verse 4, and it says here, Speaking of the idolaters, their drink offerings of blood will I not offer. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer. Now turn, if you would, to Exodus 29. Exodus 29, we'll look at verses. We'll look at verses 39 to 40. And then I'll read Matthew 26. If you want to turn there, you can. I'm going to read it after this. The drink offerings of the saints in the psalmist's day were in accordance with God's law. They, they, the drink offerings were of wine, which was a symbol, of course, and a picture of the blood of Christ. That's why, that's what, why that was to be offered, because it was a picture of the blood of Christ. In Exodus 29, verses 39 and 40, 40 it says, the, the one lamb thou shalt offer in the morning... And the other lamb thou shalt offer at evening. And with the one lamb a tenth, of, a tenth deal of flour mingled with the fourth part of him of hin of beaten oil and the fourth part of an hin of wine for a drink offering. So all these things pointed to Christ. That was the proper offering there was, was wine. And then over in Matthew chapter 26, verses 27 to 29, the scriptures declare this of Christ. And he took the cup and gave thanks 
and gave it, gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of, of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. So the proper offering, the proper offering was wine. But here it says in Psalm 16, their drink offerings of blood will I not offer. Now God accepted drink offerings of wine all in accordance to the law, which we looked at there in Exodus 29. He will not accept drink offerings of blood. Now many heathens sacrificed to their idols with man's blood or animal blood. And they, they went against God's law and against the laws of humanity when they did that to man. Uh, some of them offered their own children. We know that in that Moloch where they would heat up the... Oh, it was, I, I don't even want to say it. It was awful what they did. Awful what they did. But they'd offer up sacrifices of humans. And these offerings came with, from those whose hands are full of blood and who boast of sacrifices. They do not obey his law and gospel. Look, it says, Nor take up their names unto my lips. He forbids us to pay homage to any other god. We, we are not to pay any, any homage to any other god with our lips. And he declares here that he refused to acknowledge those who do so. Now think of that in light of the many false religions out there. No sacrifices could atone for sin, neither satisfy the guilty conscience. If the sacrifices were under, uh, under the law were offered by Israel with an eye of faith to Jesus, then they were sweetly satisfying to God because they pointed to Christ. But void of this, it was not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. And even those sacrifices we know that the Israelites offered only pointed to Christ. They couldn't take away the sins of the people that were offering them. How much more the sacrifices that heathens are offering to their false gods. They couldn't do anything. Nothing at all. Now let's consider verse 5. It says, The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. Now the Hebrew word translated portion identifies a choice part. A choice part. Turn, if you would, to 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1. This choice part is given to someone as a token of high regard. The giver has for the recipient. I'll read in Exodus twenty nine twenty six, and it says this: "And thou shalt take the bread, or thou shalt take the breast of the ram of Aaron's consecration, and wave it for a wave offering before the Lord, and it shall be thy part." And then, over in First Samuel chapter one verses four and five, the Scripture declares this: "And when the time was that Elkanah offered to give, offered he gave to Phineas." his wife, and to all her sons and daughters portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. Now verse 5 here, and back there in, in Psalm 16, brings forth a wonderful truth that Jesus in his human nature made Jehovah his portion. 
Remember, he was here to do the will of the Father. He was here to do the will of the Father, and he looked to him to maintain his cause and to carry him safely through his vast undertaking. And his mission was to come here to redeem God's people with the shedding of his own precious blood. Look at verse 5 again in, in Psalm 16. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. Now this is Christ speaking of his inheritance, meaning the church. The church. And the people that all were given to him by the Father in eternity. Deuteronomy, the scripture proclaims this, for the Lord's portion is his people. The Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. One's cup is a cinnamon for his condition in life. His condition is in life. We see that over in the shepherd's psalm, which, extends, which, which proclaims this, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Runneth over. So it's a synonym for a condition in life. Again, let's look at verse 5. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. It says again here, of my cup. One commentator spoke of this as of Christ as a blessing so of sorrows and sufferings which being measured out, filled up and put into his hand by his father, he freely took it. He freely took it. We know that the Lord Jesus Christ came to this world to save his people from their sins. He must go to Calvary. If Christ did not go to Calvary and die, we would not be redeemed. There'd be no payment for our sins. There'd be in no way we could be justified before God except for the sacrifice of Christ. And he must go, and he did. And he did it willingly, as I've said many, many times. He came here to die. He came to this world to redeem his people from their sins. God incarnate in the flesh. Now, now, when we ponder that, we are filled with awe. Because we will not find a love like that anywhere else. It's incredible. It exceeds human love. Far, far above. That the word of God himself would leave heaven to come to this world to die. To live a perfect life. And I'll think of, think of this too. Have you ever pondered? Here's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's God incarnate in the flesh. He's absolutely sinless. And he's living in the midst of sinners. My. And he's doing this to redeem your soul if you're a believer in my soul. It's absolutely incredible. So he freely took this cup, didn't he? He took the cup of God's wrath, didn't he? Spurgeon said he took the cup of God's wrath and he drank damnation dry. I love that. Because if he drank damnation dry for his people, that means that there's no condemnation for me in Christ Jesus. That's wonderful. That's absolutely wonderful. And what love is manifested here before us 
Our Lord told Peter when, when they came to arrest him, he said this, then said Jesus unto Peter, put up thy sword. Remember Peter had taken the sword out, lopped the guy's ear off. What did the Lord do? Take it up, put it back on. And Jesus said unto Peter, Put up thy sword into the seeth. The cup which the Father hath given me, shall I not drink it? Nevertheless, Lord, not, not my will, but thy will be done. Eh? That's what he said. We could never drink that cup, could we? Oh, my. He drank the cup of God's wrath, beloved for his people. <clears throat> Remember what the Lord tells the Levitical priests, uh, that he was their portion? See, God's our portion, beloved. Oh my, we're his portion, but he's also our portion. <laughs> Over in Numbers chapter 18, verse 20, the scriptures declare this, and the Lord spake unto Aaron, thou shalt have no inheritance in their land. See, we don't have any inheritance here, beloved. We're just passing through. We're just simply passing through. Now, we enjoy the things of the world. We do. We, we enjoy what the Lord gives us, don't we? But we don't cling to it very long, strongly because we know it's just fleeting. It's just fleeting. And the Lord spake unto Aaron, and thou shalt, shalt have no inheritance in their land, neither shalt thou have any part among them. I am thy part. The Lord's our part, boy and thine inheritance among the children of Israel. That's what God is to us, beloved. And then it's proclaimed in this verse here, thou maintainest my lot. Thou maintainest my lot. Having confessed what Jehovah is to him, Christ now confesses what Jehovah is doing for him. You know, he, again, he, I mentioned, I just touched on this this morning, he's in full submission to the Father. We saw that, even that portion I read, the cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? He's in full submission to the Father. Willingly. He, the sinless one, knowing that he's going to go to that cross and die for sinners. Die, and, and don't forget, he's dying for his bride. <laughs> he's dying for those who the, the Father gave him. And if you're one of God's born-again, blood-washed people, you're one of them. And there's lost sheep out there. And the Lord will get them. They shall be saved. They shall be saved. They shall come to Christ. They shall be regenerated, born again by the Holy Spirit of God. And they shall come to Christ. And they're saying the same thing. Just like we say this too, thou maintainest my lot. We say that too, don't we? You see, remember this morning I said there's things in this too that we can apply to ourselves too and say, yes, this is true of me too. The Lord maintaineth my lot. He keeps us. He keeps us, beloved. So we can rest assured that the Lord takes care of his own. He takes care of his own. He always provides and he always keeps his people. I cannot tell you how many times so far in, in, in my walk with the Lord when I look back and I am absolutely amazed at how he's taking care of me and taking care of Vicki and I. It's absolutely stunning. And how something appeared to be a, a huge mountain to us. And it just became mowed right down like a mohill. And I know every one of you who's trusting the Lord can, can look back and see that in your life too. Spurgeon said we tend to blow things out of proportion. 
and forget who the Lord is. He's the Almighty. And he takes care of his people. He watches over his people. And he will carry us home, beloved. He will carry us home. He saves us. He keeps us. And one day, he will present us faultless. I love that. I love that. That the Lord will present us faultless. Because I know what I am. I know how much of a sinner I am. I know, I know you know the same. You who, you who are his people. We know we're sinners. We admit we're sinners. But we marvel in, in the fact that he will one day present us faultless before his throne. And he'll do it with exceeding joy. <laughs> Why? Because he delights in us even now. Even now he delights in us. We, it, it leaves us speechless because we know we don't deserve this. It leaves us speechless. Me? All by the grace of God. All, and, and his brother Neil read, according to the riches of his grace. <laughs> oh my. That's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. So we can rest assured in the Lord that he'll take care of us. He'll take care of us. Now let's consider verse 6. The lions are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. The lions spoken of here are those around a plot of ground. And think upon this in the case of Christ. They're like lions around his church. Remember, we, we had a study one time, the church is like a garden. <laughs> oh, these lions are like, like a, a plotted out area. And that's what the church is, even amongst the world right now. Even amongst the world. The church is indeed a land of pleasant places. And you know how we are that? We're made so by the righteousness of Christ. See, it, it has nothing to do with us. <laughs> We're simply receivers of this grace and mercy. But the church is indeed a, a land of pleasant places. And remember, that's not the building, that's the people. That's the called out assembly. That's the ecclesia of God. And it's, we're made so by the righteousness of Christ imputed to those within the garden, right? And by his merits and virtues by which we are made beautiful. We saw that in the Song of Solomon study. He looks upon his people as a beautiful bride. He doesn't see no spot in us. None. Nothing at all. He's so enamored with us, beloved. He's so in love with us. Why? It says, The lions are fallen unto me in the pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. Truly, the church is a, is a good inheritance through the goodness of Christ, her head. And only by his merits alone, again, Ephesians says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Oh my, what a blessing. Then now let's consider verse 7. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel, my reins also instruct me in the night seasons. Christ himself is the wonderful counselor, isn't he? He's the wonderful counselor. And the counsel he gives is that which he has received from the Father through his Spirit. Turn, if you would, to Isaiah 11.2. Isaiah 11.2. Our Lord did not act independently, beloved. Remember, we've often looked at that the whole Trinity was involved 
in our salvation. God the Father chose us in Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ redeemed us, redeemed us and purchased us on Calvary's cross, and now He keeps us. And the Holy Spirit regenerates us. We're born again by the Holy Spirit of God. So the whole Trinity is in action in our salvation. Look at this in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, that being Christ, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. So our Lord did not act independently. He acted in perfect oneness of heart, mind, and will with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. Let's go back to Psalm 16. We'll look at verse 7. It says, I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me. Instruct me in the night seasons. Turn, if you would, to Luke chapter 22. My reigns also instruct me in the night seasons. Think of this in reference when Christ was engaged in prayer to God the Father, in which sometimes he continued a whole night. And this was especially true when Christ prayed to his Father on the night of his betrayal. Luke 22, verses 39 to 44. And as we read this, note how... Note how Christ is in full submission to the Father. And he knows what's coming up. He knows where he's, what, he's, what he has to do. And he came out and went, verse 39, as he was wont, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at a place, he said unto them, Pray ye, or pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Our great Savior is in full submission to the Father. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. Look at this. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Notice in verse 42 there, though, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. What, what, what incredible words. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Ever submissive to the Father, beloved. Ever submissive to the Father. Let's go back to Psalm 16. Ever submissive to the the Father's will. The, The sinner's substitute, the Lord Jesus Christ, again, bore all the sins of all the elect of all the ages on Calvary's cross, willingly. Willingly. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Oh, my. Let's read verses 8 to 10. And I touched on this a little bit today. We'll read Acts 2 again. We'll read Acts 2, verses 23 to 36. But first of all, let's read verses 16 to, or I'm sorry, Psalm 16, verses 8 to 10. 
I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoices, my flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither will I suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Let's turn over to Acts. We'll read that again. We read this today. This again is a precious prophecy from Acts. Acts chapter chapter two is a, is is tells us that this speaks of Christ. What we just read there in in Psalm sixteen. Acts chapter two, verses twenty three to thirty six. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Right there, it shows us that Christ willingly went to the cross all by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. It was planned and purposed by God that Christ must die upon the cross. And he did it willingly. You have taken him by wicked hands, have crucified and slain. Now, they did not know they were doing the will of God. They had no idea. No idea at all. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that, that he should be holden of it. Now, it was not possible that, that he should be holden of death because he was sinless, beloved. <laughs> he was sinless in his life and he was sinless in his death. That sin was imputed to him. But he is the impeccable Christ. There's, there's, there's no sin in him at all. He's perfect. He's God incarnate in the flesh. So death had no hold upon him. Remember he said to Satan, Satan comes and he has nothing in me. He had a lot in us, eh? but nothing in Christ. He is absolutely sinless. For David spaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope. And we rest in hope, don't we? And Christ is our hope. He's our hope. That's who we rest in. We used to rest in ourselves, and that was, that was a, a false refuge, wasn't it? But Christ is a refuge that's sure. Sure, he's a good hope. He's a good hope, and we rest in hope. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. And this, again, is speaking of Christ and Christ alone. He's, he's the only one who is the holy one. He's the only one who saw no corruption. No corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that is both dead and buried in the sepulchre is, is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne, he seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither, neither his flesh did see corruption. This, see, he's, he's now giving us an interpretation of those verses that we read over there in Psalm 16. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. For David has not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstools. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you crucified, 
both Lord and Christ. Do you see what that just said right there? God made Christ Lord. <laughs> we don't make him Lord. That's what I said earlier. God, I like what, I think it was Donnie Bell said, God beat us to it all. <laughs> God made Christ both Lord and Christ. Why? So what wondrous love we have here before us. What wondrous love we see manifested before us in the sacrifice of Christ. He did all this to redeem our eternal souls. And we could sing with the hymn writer, Oh, what wondrous love is this, oh my soul, oh my soul. It's wondrous. The love that Christ has for his people is absolutely wondrous. Now let's look at verse 11. Let's go back to Psalm 16. We'll look at verse 11. Close up this study. Thou wilt show me the path of life, and thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. So we've seen how this scripture in Psalm 16 is all about the one who is the great head of his church. And what an interest we have is we've seen what an interest he has in his body, which is also the church, the redeemed of the Lord. And this brings great comfort and joy to his people. If the grave could not hold Jesus, and it didn't, neither can it hold any of us. Because we are in Christ. We are in Christ. We're members of his body. We're members of his body. The grave cannot hold, release the head, and hold the body. As one old grace preacher said, where the head is, the body soon follows. One day, we'll be all in glory. All of us. Every one of his blood-bought people. And the resurrection of Christ, again, is a sure pledge that God is absolutely satisfied with the sacrifice of Christ. See, he's not satisfied with, with our supposed righteousness. No, if a man faces God in his own righteousness or his own supposed goodness, they will be cast to an eternal doom in hell. But a believer stands in the clothed in the righteousness of Christ. <laughs> oh my, in what we will one day see, beloved. Our Savior face to face face to face, all because of what he's done, all because of what he's done. So the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is a sure pledge that God is satisfied with the sacrifice of Christ because we know that scripture tells us that what? He was raised for our justification. For ours. <laughs> for his body. And the Lord has gone before his people to prepare a place for us. And that's just a place with him. That's not some mansion in the sky. That's just in his presence, beloved. Uh, not going to be someone having a bigger house than someone else. And that's just people filled with spiritual pride that will tell you that. Our reward is Christ. And we get to be in his presence. We get to be in his presence. Remember he told Abraham, I'm your exceeding reward. I am. 
He's he's prepared a place for us. And we'll follow him there because he'll take us there. Because he'll take us there. And therefore, while we are still here on this earth, what do we do? We can rest in the hope that we have in Christ, can't we? We can rest in him. And that's what we do. Now, we struggle in our sinfulness to rest. To, we cry out, Lord, help, help my unbelief, don't we? But my, oh my, what a day that'll be. And what a hope the believer has in Christ. What a day it'll be when we see him face to face. Though after their skin, worms destroy this body, yet in the flesh they shall see God. They'll see God. There see the one who is the resurrection and the life, his blood-bought people. And what joy will fill the saint of God the moment they enter into glory. And when do we enter into glory? As soon as we breathe our last breath. Oh my. (laughs) Makes you homesick for heaven, doesn't it? Oh my, we'll see him face to face. And this fills the saint of God with joy, joy. Knowing that it is all through the mercy and grace of God that we will be there. That we will be there. And it's all in and through Christ and Christ alone. So surely the Lord is the believer's only hope. Only hope. He's our Adonai, isn't he? That's what scripture calls him. He's Adonai. He's our Lord. He's the Holy One. He's all my righteousness. He's everything. Paul said, he's my all in all. Is that not what every one of us say? He's my all in all. And if he keeps us, and this is the key, we don't keep ourselves, do we? But if he keeps us, if the Almighty One keeps us, then we shall not be moved. Now we're going to be up and down like that because we're humans. (laughs) But he's holding us and keeping us the whole time. The whole time. The whole time. My, he's our hope. And what a blessed hope he is for the redeemed. Because he purchased us with his own precious blood. His holy body saw no corruption. And so also the members of his body, though seeing corruption in this flesh, we're going to die. We must partake in his triumphs over death in the grave, though, don't we? The minute we breathe our last breath, we're in his presence. Why? So whether we're living or dying, all the Lord's blood-bought people are his. And again, when the hour of death comes, we'll be, think of this too. When that hour of death comes, we will be in perfect union with him. Perfect union with him. Seeing him face to face, like we see each other right now. We will see our king face to face. Face to face, beloved. And you know what? We'll be beholding him forever, for eternity, all because of his mercy and his grace.
which hath been bestowed upon us. And then we will hail. We will hail him as the Almighty. We will sing with the other saints, Worthy is the Lamb. All worthy is he to receive all blessings, glory, and honor, and praise. For he hath redeemed us. He hath purchased us with his own precious blood. Oh, we're hailing. Christ alone is indeed the resurrection and the life. And he has gone before his people and he will take all of his redeemed people to himself. So that where he is, there we may be also. And that's God who says that. Oh my. Only in the Lord can we find the fullness of joy. Only in Him. And at His right hand there is pleasure forevermore. Oh, what a time that'll be when we see Him face to face. When we don't struggle with sin anymore. all because of his mercy and grace. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank thee again for... Thank you for your sacrifice, Lord Jesus. Thank you for coming to this world. And as we read those words, nevertheless, not my will, but thine will be done. You speaking of the Father and you speaking of the cup which you must take. And in telling Peter that you must, you must drink of the cup. You faced the wrath of God for us. You took the punishment that was due us. You, the sinless, perfect sacrifice. And we who are your blood-bought people marvel in this. Oh Lord, we pray that if there is any of your lost sheep listening or will listen. Oh Lord, we pray that this would be time of life, that you would regenerate them by the Holy Spirit of God and draw them to Christ and, and show them their desperate need for thee, O oh Lord. We love you and praise you, we who are your people. We thank you for your goodness and grace and mercy for us. We thank you for redeeming us, for justifying us, for clothing us in thy perfect spotless righteousness, for the forgiveness and pardon of all our sins. O oh Lord, we sing worthy is the Lamb, but one day we'll sing it with all the other blood-washed saints in glory. Sinless because of what you've done. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.